Good morning. As Ben said, we are in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give to you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is the very word of God. There's a website that um, I follow. It's a productivity website, so that's no surprise to a lot of you. Um, and they have a little series they do called um, How We Work. And essentially, they interview um, productive people in the workplace and ask them questions about life hacks, uh, apps, devices, ways of being productive throughout the day, and that's like candy for types like me. Uh, I love to hear about different uh, ways that people go about their daily routines. Uh, one of the interesting things about the way we work is it tells us a lot about a person, doesn't it? it tells us a lot about their personality. Is your desk clean all the time, or is it always a constant mess? Um, do you use a lot of life hacks? and devices, or do you just kind of figure things out as you go? The way that we work as Christians, and I don't just mean, of course, your job, your career, but the way we go about our daily duties and responsibilities also is meant to say a lot about who we are as persons, as Christians, the way that we work, the way that we live our lives ought to demonstrate to the world that we are the kind of people who depend on God and seek the honor of God above everything else. The way that we do our work, the way that we go about our duties and our routines through our lives is supposed to proclaim to the world that we are the kind of people who depend on God and who seek his honor above everything else. I think that's what the Apostle Paul wants to say to the church at Thessalonica in this passage that we have before us this morning. He speaks in these verses about the Christian way. He speaks about the social concern and he gives them, reminds them of the apostolic example. How we work is to be according to the Christian way with a social concern that we have as Christians and following the apostolic example. Let's consider these three things together this morning. First, we note that just as there is Christian doctrine, 
beliefs that define what Christianity is, so there also is a Christian way of living. There is orthodoxy, right, beliefs, summarized for us in the Apostles' Creed that we just recited, but there is also orthopraxy, the the proper way of living as Christians, the right practice. So here in verse 6, Paul says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So just as there is Christian doctrine that is, or such as, I'm sorry, such that, uh, so just as there is doctrine uh, or beliefs that are outside the pale of Christian orthodoxy, so there are ways of living that are heterodox as well. And this matters. It's a big deal. In the Bible, we find not only specific things that we must believe as Christians, we also find specific ways that we are to behave. Now, now I suppose that most people understand this. Uh, In fact, many people think that the Bible's entire purpose is to regulate behavior. You ask the average man on the street, what the purpose of the Bible is, and you'll probably get pretty quickly answers that are, uh, the, the Bible is some sort of a guidebook for life. It's all about regulating behavior. Now, that is not true. The Bible is first a story about God and what God has done, not a story about us and what we do or even what we ought to be doing. But it would also be wrong to conclude that the story of God does not affect our behavior, how we should carry out our lives. The problem is, of course, that as Christians, we seem to struggle to agree on the kinds of behavior the Bible requires and the kind of behavior the Bible forbids. And, and the world isn't any help to us in this. What is the Christian way of living in this situation or in this particular circumstance? What exactly is the Christian way of life? Now, in these verses, we find what appears to be a very clear Christian command. In verse 6, Paul says, we are not to walk in idleness. And verse 10 is a well-known biblical dictate. Undoubtedly, you've heard it before. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. But before we look at this command closely, I want to make a broader observation on the Christian way of living. Many of us know all too well the threat of Christian legalism a tendency that threatens the crucial doctrine of Christian liberty. We must be careful about how we define the proper Christian way of living and doing so more narrowly than the way the Bible truly does define it. When it comes to specific questions about whether this or that behavior is legitimate for Christian living, we need to promote and preserve the freedom that we really do have in Christ. We must not pass judgment on one another where our Lord has not clearly passed judgment himself, as Romans 14, 4 says. So when we talk about appropriate, proper Christian behavior, we have to tread carefully, don't we? 
Now, having said that, you can't take a passage like the one before us seriously if you say we can never issue dictates or commands or expectations for how we should live the Christian life. The freedom that each of us has in Christ must not be allowed to turn inward. How I live my Christian life should be a concern of yours as a fellow member of this church and vice versa. The Christian life is a team sport because God's purpose is not merely to save individuals, but to create a church, to create a family. We are in this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in solidarity with one another. Now, we, we don't all have the same roles, so our behavior will vary in plenty of ways, but we can't be pulling in opposite directions if we're part of the same family, right? There, there is a Christian way. And this Christian way of living, whatever it is, applies to all believers in all times and all places. It is traditional in this sense. Here in verse 6, the apostle warns of a certain behavior that he says is not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, back in chapter 2, verse 15, we noted that this tradition refers not to the way we've always done things or even the things that we've always believed. It's not a dead traditionalism, but a living tradition that originates with a very much alive Messiah who has brought us into his glorious new creation. So be careful here when we talk about behavior that needs to be traditional. This kind of tradition that Paul has in mind is transcultural. That is, we have to be careful to distinguish between certain cultural expectations of Christian living that have more to do with what is expected in a particular place, but do not apply to everyone elsewhere. So, for example, a verse like verse 10 is the kind of thing that many American Christians misapply to other cultures. And we'll get into this more deeply in just a moment, but I, I simply want us to consider the possibility that we are prone to confuse the American work ethic or what some would even say is the Protestant work ethic with the biblical view of work that's implied in a passage like this one. There are devastating consequences that stem from overwork, from workaholics. And we must learn to discern between the sin of idleness that Paul has in, the, in his crosshairs here with the sin of totally disregarding Sabbath. So while this passage certainly is commending work as a good thing, we must also keep in mind the Bible elsewhere commends Rest, Sabbath. And we need to hold these two things together. Okay, so well, what is this sin of idleness that Paul warns us about in this passage? And again, I think the picture will become clearer as we go along, but, but let's get one thing straight right off the bat. 
The sin of idleness that Paul is talking about here is not laziness. It is not laziness. That's too narrow a definition. The Bible has plenty to say about laziness. If you've read the Proverbs, you've encountered many of them. This is not one of those texts. The word that the ESV translates idle is, I think, better understood, depending on how you understand the English language. That's the nature of language and translation. Um, Better translated as, well, let's use a couple of versions. Actually, the King James Version, maybe we should reclaim in sometimes some of the ancient words, um, has the word disorderly. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it irresponsible. These are probably more, uh, I'm guessing, better communicate in English Paul's intent behind this word. Notice that Whatever this sin is, it is far more serious than mere laziness. You read verse 6 and then later verse 13, which we're going to come to next week. And so I'm going to cover kind of what verse 6 says with verse 13 next week. And it brings some pretty serious sanctions. So this isn't just laziness. This is something disordered, way out of line with Christianity, with faithful Christian practice. And it's in this light that we need to understand a verse like verse 10. I have heard verse 10 used to justify an attitude of carelessness toward the poor. So you drive by and you see somebody who is obviously not as well off as you, and you think to yourself, what do I do? And you say, oh, yes, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If any isn't willing to work, neither should he eat. So not helping you. You've never done that. Good. I see. You holy people out there. That's never crossed your mind. So that, okay, I'm just confessing. That happens to me. I've heard this verse used to defend legislation in our country that would remove assistance to a single mom who struggles to hold down a job precisely because she spends her time working to take care of little children at home while her married counterpart is never accused of violating this verse even though her kids are secure in school and daycare all day long. Which of those two is more likely to be idle? But which one is also more likely to have access to plenty of food? Are you with me? This is a kind of verse that can get twisted in all sorts of unhealthy ways. Now, all of this to say that most Christians assume their behavior, just like their doctrine, is perfectly in line with the Christian way that's given to us in the Bible. And I'm just asking us this morning, to have a little humility when we come to a text like this and let the Bible challenge us before we so quickly apply it to others. Can we do that? Is that okay? All right. So what is this idleness? What is the disordered way of living that Paul is confronting in this passage? We've got to know what disorderly conduct is as a Christian if we're going to apply a passage like this to our lives. 
Now we look at verse 11 and we see that the apostle Paul had heard that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And it's to them he gave the command in verse 12 that they do their work quietly and earn their own living. So there's a social concern that's in view here. There's a, there's a concern about the way that we are behaving in the world as Christians that Paul says matters. What is this social concern that he's addressing? I've already suggested that the problem here is not so much idleness, but irresponsibility toward one's daily duties. It, it's not laziness. It's not, well, you're getting more than the requisite eight hours of sleep. That's the problem here. That's not what he's talking about. It's a, a problem of, of not doing nothing, but doing the wrong thing. Thus, the problem that Paul is addressing is not a problem that can be fixed by more discipline or more energy. The answer is not to create new habits or eat better food, though maybe that's what you should do. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is not a self-help guru. He's not a life hack that's trying to help us be more productive in your career and your vocation. The Christian way is never primarily about the behavior that can be seen, but about the heart that's underneath it all. That's what Paul's after. What, why do we do what we do? That's the, that's the Christian social concern. It's the, the roots that are underneath the, why, the reason why we do our duties. Now, to understand the sinful behavior that Paul's confronting, we've got to keep in mind the social conditions in which these believers lived. And so you've got to understand something about the first century world in which Paul is writing. The way the world worked in Thessalonica under the Roman social system was a, a system that today is called patronage. Here's how it worked. In Roman society, there were various class distinctions, but the important factor was never just about being in the upper class. That wasn't what it was all about. The concern was more about honor. It was a shame-honor type of culture. The concern was, or the kind of the currency of the day, was to show off one's high rank, to be highly esteemed in society. So, a person of high rank, a patron, would provide benefits to those lower in status who would agree to serve as the patron's clients. And the responsibility of the client, what, what was the job of a client? It's interesting. The job of a client was to be exclusively loyal to his or her patron. And to see to it that they received special attention and honor. So every morning, the responsibility of the clients of a patron was to show up at the patron's house and greet them. I know this sounds really weird. You're like, what? But just imagine the scene. 
the, the responsibility of the client was to give them unyielding support in the public square. Wherever you saw your patron, you were to point them out and say, that's my guy. That's my gal. I, full, whatever they think, I'm supportive. Gives the patron honor in society, especially the more clients you have. And the clients then were provided, benefited, given goods by their patron. That's the system Paul is denouncing. He rules that kind of system totally out of line with proper Christian behavior. Christians have no business, Paul's saying, being in that kind of system. Rather than getting financial needs met by patrons, believers in Christ are to work with their hands and provide for their own means. But, but watch, the concern is still a matter of the heart. Would Christians order their lives around the customs and conventions of the day, or would they choose to organize around Christ, around the Messiah? When Christ and culture conflict, which would dictate how they live their lives? Would they live, in this particular case, dependent on a patron, giving honor to the patron, or would they live their lives dependent on King Jesus? Now, I know what's happening. Some of you are like, okay, well, that was that completely, this must be an irrelevant text to us. And if you're going there, hang on just a second. I want you to consider again verse 11. Paul's concern with the system of patronage, the, the problem of the heart, is that rather than being busy at work, Christians were busy bodies. <laughs> the, the English translation is meant to capture the wordplay that's evident in Greek. But I don't hear many people using the word busybody today. So what does that mean? It, it's someone who is a meddler. You know, someone who gets involved in things that are none of their business. Now, you probably know somebody like that, right? You've got that person in mind. You know who that busybody is? Uh, before you go there, the context requires us to remember again the system of patronage that Paul is decrying. By agreeing to the social contract of serving as one's client, a Christian would put himself in a place of becoming entangled in affairs that they ought to have nothing to do with. Just think of it for a moment. Here's your patron that you have sworn complete loyalty to. By agreeing to give honor to one's patron, don't you see what you would do, Christian? You've put yourself in a position that no matter what that patron says, does, thinks, believes, you are in a position of supporting those political aims. Isn't that right, buddy? This is great. I got This is like, I need some people come up. I need a witness right here. I got a witness, right? Yeah, that's good. I like it. He's welcome up here anytime. Okay, now some of you are still not seeing the application, so I'm going to have to get blunt here. Many American Christians today have become meddlers because they've entangled themselves with one or the other political party in this country. I'm going to get in trouble now, aren't I? 
In order to receive the benefits for ourselves, we've given honor to politicians and have become entangled in causes that as Christians, we should have nothing to do with. Do do I need to get more specific? We too have become dependent on the conventions of our day rather than on Christ and his way. We've lived as if the gospel of Jesus is irrelevant to our daily lives and concerns. It's just something we can believe in our heads, but it doesn't translate out into how we live our lives. We're just happy to act like everybody else does, swearing allegiance with one party or the other, or one politician or the other, and we've become entangled with things that we ought to have no business with. The world that we inhabit may give us only two choices, Republican or Democrat, but there is another way. And and no, I don't mean a third political party. I don't mean you have to be a registered independent. And I also don't believe that the Bible is suggesting that we are to not care about politics at all. I simply mean that the Bible gives us a different way to live that cuts across every ideology and political philosophy, never quite comfortable with any of them. This third way is the apostolic example that Paul lays out for us in these verses. Verses 7 to 9 reveal some of the characteristics of the Christian way that Paul exemplified. And it was the apostolic way of life coupled with the apostolic teaching that according to verse 7 now has the normative character of received tradition. It's not just what the apostles taught, but also the way the apostles carried out their lives that together has the normative character of received tradition authoritative. That's why Paul can say to the Thessalonians, you ought to imitate us. (laughs) That's amazing, right? He's an apostle. It's just like him saying, you ought to believe what we say. In the same way he's saying, you ought to behave the way we behave. Live this way. Walk this way. So we've been talking about this entire sermon year. There is a way of living. It's the apostolic example. So we cannot be guilty of the sinful irresponsibility that Paul is taking aim at. Let's let's observe how Paul and his associates lived their lives and and learned by their example. First, Paul says, we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Verse 8. Now, note what he does not mean. He does not mean it is sinful to receive hospitality. Otherwise, the Bible would never command us to be hospitable. And it does it over and over and over again. He does not mean, Christian, that if someone invites you over to their house for dinner, that you got to pay them back when you leave or that you owe them an invite to your house. Back in his first letter, to the Thessalonians, Paul said, when, when he came to Thessalonica, he did not come seeking glory from people, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. That's what he means here in 2 Thessalonians 3, 8. His attitude among the believers was one of humility and service rather than an expectation of being served. The example that Paul set here 
was that even though he was an apostle, he did not expect anything to be handed to him. He was unassuming. That's the Christian way to live. In the church community, you don't say, well, that, that family's never invited me over. That, that, that pastor has never had me in their home. I mean, like, maybe you should remind us of that. But the Christian way of living is saying, how can I serve? How can I invite others? How can I show hospitality? How can I give? Now, what about at work? In our day, this would not mean that you don't, that it's wrong to negotiate your salary with your employer. It, it does mean you should never expect to be given anything freely. And you should guard against the belief that you deserve anything without working for it. And anything that you are given freely, you should receive with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with humility, with awe, with astonishment. We are Christians. We believe in grace. And when we receive grace, when unmerited favor is poured out upon us, our response should not be, I kind of deserve it. Our response should be thankfulness, humility, astonishment. Wow. That's the Christian way. We believe in unmerited favor. We believe in grace and we know from whom grace comes. So we give him praise for it when it does. Next, Paul says the Christian way to work is to work hard and not to be a burden. He says, with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, again, you can see first what this does not mean. It does not mean that Paul was a workaholic. He didn't know how to rest. It does not mean that Paul was against receiving financial help for his ministry. He says in Philippians 4.16 that even when he was in Thessalonica, the Philippian believers sent him financial support. So while he didn't receive some financial support from the Thessalonians, he received it from another church, even as he worked hard night and day. So what does it mean? It means that the Christian way was not just denying the way of the world, but affirming a completely different way of life, an entirely different system, a, a way of life that turns the world upside down. That system, that way of life is called the Christian community. A community of believers who see themselves as a family, who care for one another just like a family does. In that kind of social setting, a family, social status means nothing. <laughs> means absolutely nothing. We seek to live in a healthy interdependence with one another. No one is autonomous, but no one is a burden either. The exhortation in verse 12, is that we do our work quietly and earn our own living. It's the same exhortation that we saw back in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. And there we are told to live our lives by a paradox. Do you remember it? We are to be ambitious about living quietly. The quietness that is commended is to be discreet, not seeking honor through trying to impact society. You know, like causing a fight on your social media page, hmm? right? That's not the Christian way. But the Christian way is to be ambitious 
to be zealous, to be engaged with society in our ordinary vocations, seeking to do good first to our faith community, but also to all our neighbors. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not always an easy balance to strike. But what we aim for is a steadfast dependence on God, seeking his honor rather than our own, and thereby being conduits of his blessing in an anxious world. That's the way Christians work. And it ought to speak volumes about the kind of people we are. Believers in the goodness of God. Recipients of his free grace. And a welcome to anyone who wants to come and see just how good our God is. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, if what we believe would translate out into our lives, there would be no danger that we would present ourselves as good news. Never would there be that danger. We would live the kind of gracious lives, thankful, humble lives of the kind of people that are in awe of your amazing grace. But what a blessing this would be to an anxious world that's always clamoring about unity, about toleration, but can't ever find it. The Christian knows the way. It is by refusing to, sur- to swear allegiance to anyone other than King Jesus. It's a willingness to reject anything that is outside the bounds of Christian orthodoxy or orthopraxy. And instead, to live our lives in humble dependence upon the God to whom we want all honor to be proclaimed. It's to you, our good, faithful, merciful God. It's to you, King Jesus. It's to you, the Holy Spirit. So come and teach us that what we believe is incredibly applicable to how we live and conduct our lives. Make us those kinds of people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.